Hello, and welcome to the Market Matters podcast by Emirates MBD. I'm Khatija Haq, Chief Economist and Head of Research. And I'm delighted to be joined by Maurice Gravier, the Chief Investment Officer for the bank. Hi, Maurice. Hi, Khatija. Delighted to be with you. Yes, we've got quite a lot to talk about, um, mainly around the outlook for 2023 and how investors should be positioning themselves for what lies ahead. I think it's probably worthwhile trying to set the scene a little bit um, as to how we, we started the year. I can't believe it's already February already. Um, but if we think back to the last weeks of 2022, I think the prevailing mood, you'd probably agree, was one of pessimism about mm. the global economy. Um, the probability that the U.S. Uh, is going to enter a recession was sitting at between 60 and 70 percent. Mm. The uh, consensus view was that the U.K. and the Eurozone were already in recession at the end of last year. Um, but over the last few weeks um, since the start of this year, the economic data certainly for Europe has been a little bit better than I think was expected. Um, and so perhaps um, those European economies are a bit more resilient than we had initially thought. And certainly the IMF um, is also a little bit more upbeat about the outlook for this year. So they've recently upgraded their growth forecast for 2023 to 2.9% from 2.7%. So a very slight improvement, but nevertheless uh, moving in the right direction. And then last night, the Federal Reserve delivered the 25 basis point rate hike that the market and, and we were expecting. Um, it had also signaled that it's more comfortable with smaller increments in rate hikes going forward. So while they are still signaling that there will be further rate hikes, those are probably going to be 25 basis points rather than the 50 or the 75 that, that we had been seeing over the last few months. In the post-meeting uh, conference, Jerome Powell tried to sound hawkish by stressing that even if the Fed pauses, it doesn't mean that there is a cut that is imminent. He also was very careful to say that they didn't want to be um, uh, too optimistic on inflation and that they would rather err on the side of caution and keeping rates a little bit higher for longer. But seemingly, the market doesn't believe the Fed. Uh, we saw a nice rally in, uh, in US equities overnight. And in terms of what's being priced in for the rest of this year, the market does still seem to be pricing uh, two rate cuts in the fourth quarter of 2023. So, Against that backdrop, how are you positioning your portfolios and what is your investment strategy? Mm -hmm. Let me let me start with uh, um, with, with the Fed because uh, uh, of course the Fed has been the main driving force behind the, the crash of everything of last year after probably a decade of rally of everything for the very same reason it was the Fed so the Fed is always crucial but uh, as you very rightly said yesterday was uh, in a way a non-event compared to expectations and the market reaction was very strong frankly. I don't think that anyone was expecting a 50 basis point hike or a very aggressive press conference. But still, uh, we have seen all interest rates, treasury yields down 10 basis points um, after the after the call and equities, you know, the Nasdaq up 2%. So my perception is that, frankly, yesterday's rally came from some capitulation of underinvested portfolios or even some short sellers, you know, uh, this kind of thing. And what, what it tells us is that there are fundamentals, but it's also about psychology and positioning. And it's interesting because last year it took market participants 
months of you know shocks, denials, drama to just uh, finally uh, false hopes and uh, and uh, lots of volatility to finally understand that inflation and tightening are real. So now looking forward, the Fed is of course crucial unless they do exactly what market participants expect them to do. And the fact is that, as you just said, uh, markets are currently pricing in probably one more hike. The Fed says, plural, you know, uh, ongoing increases with an S. Uh, and they say, no, no, we will stay there while the market is pricing probably 50 basis points of cuts. And that worries me because, of course, uh, it may happen for very good reason, you know, inflation collapsing while the economy is still good, but it may not happen at all. And it may happen because of bad reasons if we see the, the economy really, um, really crashing. So that, that's why we think that looking forward, and I'll go into more detail in our, in our positioning because, uh, uh, then there is valuation. We discussed about fundamentals and psychology and in the middle there is valuation. But looking forward, the, the focus of market participants will certainly switch from, inflation to growth, and especially in the U.S. And to that extent, uh, what do you think will happen? The risk of recession in the U.S. The U.S. recession is a global recession at the end of the day. You've said things are getting better, PMIs are getting better, but the ISM manufacturing yesterday was bad, no? Yeah, so I think the survey data does still show at least the manufacturing sector in recession. But the problem, though, is that for the U.S., the manufacturing sector is not actually the bulk of the economy. The bulk of the economy is services. And services, while they have um, weakened, are still showing a reasonable amount of resilience. Um, so, you know, when we look at things like, um, obviously, inflation expectations are coming down. We've seen U.S. banks reporting consumers using more credit cards and actually starting to struggle to make the payments on their on their cards. We're seeing consumer spending in the U.S. Uh, soften, and of course, the tech industry is laying off jobs, uh, like, you know, by the thousands. Um, it, it's a little bit at odds with the broader jobs data in the U.S., which again still shows quite a resilient economy. Mm. It's certainly on the low paid. Uh, hospitality and retail type jobs. There still seems to be a shortage of workers in that part of the market. But when you look at the sort of high skilled part of the economy, there does seem to be some softening in, in the labor market. And that, to be fair, is exactly what the Fed wants to see. Mm. So the argument that they might um, start to cut rates because, um, you know, the, the labor market is weakening and the economy is moving into recession uh, I'm not sure that I buy that because, mm. again, that is what they want. So I think the data would have to get a lot worse before we can think about the Fed potentially responding in the form of, of easier monetary policy. Um, and so I still think perhaps that the risks um, to rates in the US are on the upside relative to what the market is pricing. Um, and I think, you know, the recession is something we haven't really seen in the US for a long time. Uh, obviously, last year we had a technical recession, mm. sort of two quarters of negative GDP. I think a lot of uh, market participants think something similar will happen in the first half of this year. But unless it leads to a, a big jump in unemployment, say above 4%, mm. um, I don't know that the Fed is really going to respond uh, in a meaningful way. But then the question arises of, okay, um, people are getting optimistic about rates uh, in the second half of this year. But if there is a recession in the United States, what does it mean for earnings? And, and what risk does that pose to the rally that we've seen so far this year? 
Yeah, definitely. It's a, um, it's a great question. And, uh, and our answer is not very, um, not very optimistic, to be honest, when it comes to, uh, to U.S. stocks, which are at the end of the day, global stocks, at least, um, uh, at least developed markets. Um, I was just thinking, it's crazy to think that we're in February, just one year ago, interest rates were at zero and quantitative easing was in full steam. So you're, you're right. There is a, a lag with just at the beginning. So what happens if we have a recession? Of course, um, stocks are all about, Earnings primarily. Uh, we had forgotten inflation. Now it's back in the equation, of course. And uh, there is a feel good factor to that because with price increases, top lines will look quite good. And we, we, we think that markets are a bit uh, looking through the current uh, tightening and, and risk of recession. And, um, and they may be wrong because margins have uh, the starting point for margins are extremely high. They can only go lower. And it's difficult to be optimistic on earnings, even in our scenario of a kind of a soft or no lending. We basically have um, zero earnings growth for US stocks for this year, which is something we, we haven't seen for long. And then uh, zero earnings growth, it's all about what's priced in, you know, the multiple that you apply. And, um, and then again, uh, you know, the the current PE is uh, more than 18 times, which is something it's that expensive. was um, it's expensive. And it was consistent with interest rates being super low. But when you think about uh, equity risk premium, which is uh, how much you get in, of additional expected return from equities compared to bonds, frankly, uh, it's expensive. It's uh, well, we, yes, it's outright expensive. So we have a fair value for the S&P 500 at 4,000 for the end of the year. We are at 4,41.50, something like that. We are not far. So um, we are underweight in stocks from developed markets. And our positioning, maybe I'm coming back to your previous question, but now we use developed markets and emerging markets for different purposes. Um, we use developed markets for income. So we, we take income from safe sources, like we overweight cash, overweight safe bonds, like govies and quality credits. We underweight in the rest, including stocks. And we hope for capital appreciation from emerging markets, because there, what, what is certain is that valuation is compelling. But then the question is, of course, what about growth? And I'm sure you are, you are the right person to tell me more about emerging markets, or it may be yeah, I think emerging markets broadly are expected to grow much faster this year than they have uh, over the last couple of years, particularly with China removing most of the COVID zero restrictions much faster than, than most people had expected. Um, so obviously, in the short term, if you have, which we've seen, a spike in infections in uh, China, that will probably weigh on economic activity in the first quarter of this year. But there are already signs that that seems to have peaks and that activity is, is potentially already starting to rebound. So this is something of a, a mixed blessing because faster growth in China would help to pull the global economy out of out of a funk. Um, but it could also mean that uh, commodity prices and oil prices uh, end up being much higher because of that demand from, from the Chinese uh, manufacturing sector and consumers. Sure. And high commodity prices will then complicate the central bank policymaking in developed economies. And so potentially, again, this adds to the upside risk to rates um, for, for the second half of this year, because if we start to see, which is our house view, oil prices rise um, to, say, 105, which is our average forecast Brent this year, um, then that potentially means that headline inflation starts to tick up again. And it's unlikely that central banks will be willing to cut rates when, when inflation might be rebounding. So I think, yes, it's a, it's a constructive story for emerging markets in terms of growth. 
Um, but that does also pose a different kind of risk uh, for, for developed uh, economy assets and, and policymaking. Um, so how are you uh, positioning your portfolios with respect to EMs then? Yeah, that, what you just said is really music to our ears. And I must say the two aspects. Uh, first, um, faster growth in emerging markets. We have faster growth and, and uh, lower valuation. We are clearly overweight in emerging market stocks. Uh, we are underweight in DM stocks and overweight in EM stocks. And so far, I must say that markets are with us because this year uh, we are up like 10% on, uh, on emerging markets while developed markets are, are a bit below. So uh, things are fine, but I, I'm also happy to hear that, um, that, that the picture is very complex and that we have lots of risk ahead because uh, our current positioning is that income in DM, overweight stocks in EM, underweight stocks in DM, but it, it may change. It will change. We, we have titled our global investment outlook, adapting to unpredictability. Oh my God, it's a difficult word for a Frenchman. <laughs> unpredictability, uh, precisely because of, because of that. We have this common central scenario, but there are many possible alternatives and they are not, you know, tail risk with a 5% probability. We used to work with 80% confidence, we are at 60 and the other things that can happen can be quite painful. And I must say, yes, there is this complicated trajectories and timing of growth and inflation. And as you say, inflation from commodity, is China a good news for growth? Yes, for inflation, we don't know. But then we believe that it's not just a 2023 issue, actually. And, uh, and I'd be happy to hear what you think about that, because we have the feeling that we are, it's more than just a year adjustment of, a, of an isolated inflation problem that was explained by COVID and whatever. We have the feeling that we are in a regime shift, that we, we have much more volatility in the macro factors, not just in markets, in the macro factors, should there be growth, inflation, regions compared to each other, divergences for the long term. Yes, I, I agree. I think we're still trying to understand really some of the big shifts that happened during the pandemic globally and the implications of those will continue to play out, I think, for the next decade. Um, one of the, the big shifts clearly is around demographics um, and, you know, where have all the workers gone? Because whether you look in the US or in the UK or even to some extent in, in the Eurozone, that, you know, we haven't seen a return uh, in the workforce participation or the numbers of people that you would expect to come back to work since the pandemic. And this has put a lot of pressure on, on wages, and that's obviously a big driver of inflation. If we think about the big demographic trends around aging populations and declining birth rates, particularly in developed economies, then this suggests that the shortage of people of working age is going to be a long-term issue. And mm. potentially that means that labor costs will be higher uh, for longer in, in a structural way. Um, you know, so, so what does that mean then for, for wage inflation and prices? It, again, it's an upside risk, I think, uh, you know, to, to prices. The other big shifts, of course, are around geopolitics and sure. the the shock to supply chains from the pandemic and the realization that you don't have control over parts of your supply chain, which are critical mm. if they're sitting in another country far away. Um, you know, it's led to a lot of rethinking about uh, which core parts of the manufacturing processes perhaps need to be brought 
closer to your home markets. So this idea of uh, deglobalization, mm. of onshoring, of friendshoring, um, you know, diversification of supply chains, uh, and also increased protectionism because mm. of political reasons, right? So the US doesn't want China to have access to certain technologies, so they're going to impose barriers to trade, mm. and that's going to affect companies. Um, so those sorts of things, if you think about globalization as being the main driver behind the disinflation we've seen over the last 30 years, then you would expect the opposite to be a driver of inflation over the, the next decade or so. So I think this, again, is something that people perhaps need to get their heads around is that, you know, we may not get back to a world where inflation becomes stable at a low level. Uh, and so we may not get back to a world where interest rates fall back to, to mm. zero to two percent. And, and perhaps this is a, a new normal that we we need to get used to. We are totally on the same page. And, uh, uh, and you're right. All, all of these uh, kind of structural factors tend to higher costs. We could add we were discussing before, you know, the, the green transition as well is something that has to be. To be funded and it's uh, more expensive and it requires commodities. So we we, we are in a in a kind of a uncharted territory where where many pointers say, hey, you could have higher inflation for longer. When it comes to interest rates, the issue is that we also have levels of global debt that we have simply never seen in history, even um, even in wartime. So um, many questions for the decade, and that's why we didn't just issue a view, by the way, on the, on the year ahead, but we have also uh, reshuffled our strategic asset allocation, you know, the reference allocation for our cautious, moderate, and aggressive clients, which are based on long-term assumptions. There are a couple of good news, especially the fact that You know, safe yields are back. Uh, cash is back as a, uh, as an asset class. The monstrosity of negative interest rates has gone away. And we, but we overall have built portfolios with slightly better expected returns, but at the price of higher volatility. But again, uh, differentiated returns with better perspective for emerging markets. And uh, let's take the safe yields uh, where they are. And um, it's going to be a fascinating journey. Yeah, I mean, I think higher interest rates, absolutely good for savers. Um, and also, to some extent, good for the old real economy stocks and companies, right? Because, you know, if, if you have to pay a lot of money to borrow, to invest in expansion, you need to know that you're going to see a return on that in a relatively short period of time, rather than investing in, you know, some new tech startup or technology that might only deliver you uh, re revenue in, in, in 10 years' time. You, you simply can't afford to do that in the same way anymore. And I think ultimately, um, you know, that it might lead to slower growth, um, but perhaps something a bit more sustainable over over a longer period of time uh, with a with real impact on uh, on jobs and uh, and on productivity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be an interesting 2023, probably quite volatile, as you say. Um, but I do think that some of the trends that we've started to see uh, emerge over the last couple of years uh, may actually be structural changes that will be with us for quite a long time and policymakers will have to, to grapple with these new challenges. Yeah, and so... So will we, because as investment advisors, we have to uh, to look through that. But the good news is that always when you have big risk, you have big opportunities. And um, thank you very much for having hosted me today. Thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to doing this again, perhaps uh, at the end of the quarter and see how, we, how we've gotten on. Uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us on the podcast. We hope you have enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do 
rate it and share it um, because it helps other people find uh, the, the, the series as well. Um, so until next time, goodbye.